Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 15, and our chapter reading for today is 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah is taken to heaven in a chariot of fire right in front of Elisha, his protege. Now let's look at what the text says. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah. By the way, you will see this was a widely known thing that this was going to happen. Now I'll tell you the reason in just a moment that he was going to take Elijah into heaven by whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord, that's the personal name of God, has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, the sons of the prophet who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? In other words, he's going to take him from over you. He's not going to be over you anymore after today. And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. And that was a pretty terse reaction. Then Elijah said unto him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. So he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul is, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Notice the exclamation point. This was about enough. It was on his last nerve, I think. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan, to the Jordan River, which is not far from the city of Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. That is, they were Jericho, so they started looking, but they were watching them from a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now think about this. In the first chapter, we have these three instances over and over again. You had these groups of 50 with a captain, three different times coming to Elijah. The same thing happened. And so you have these triplets in chapter one. Here you have a different set of triplets. Why? Because the thing that was about to be done was already set. It was complete. It was to be done. And so it was that when they came to the Jordan, Elijah, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two men crossed over on dry ground. Now, this is very much the kind of thing that Moses did later that Joshua did. Fascinating. Because the same supernatural signs that showed indeed that Elijah was God's man, he was the prophet, old man of God, remember they called him, that Elisha was about to get a double portion. Why? Because that's what he asked for, and God granted it. Now, I want to just say to you that when God says something in a 
triple way, it is absolutely set, it's going to happen. That's the way that we used to say complete, even in the English language. When you said to someone, as George W. Truett used to welcome the people at the great First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, he would get up on Sunday morning, and I've heard a lady by the name of Miss Dooley say to me that he used to get up and say, welcome, welcome, welcome. You are thrice welcome. Because this was the biblical way of saying you're completely welcome. Make yourself at home. You are thrice welcome. When God allows something to happen three times, it is set in heaven. It is going to happen. This is why it took Ahaziah three times before he got into that captain of that third fifties in chapter one, got it. And he said, I know we're about to see the same thing happen again. Master, please don't let this happen. I'll serve you. I'll do whatever. And I know I'm sent here to do this, but I've seen the power of God in your life and whatever is happening. I want to get instructions from you, not Ahaziah. Isaiah the king. And so that was in chapter one. Now we have this confirmation and affirmation three times when Elijah says to Elisha, don't follow me, stay here. Elisha was hooked to him like glue because he knew that he only had precious moments with Elijah because evidently God made known what was going to happen because they came out actually and said this three times. Do you know what's going to happen? And then in verse three, it says, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Now that's an interesting phrase. We've seen it earlier in the book of Genesis. You remember the Bible says that there was a man by the name of Enoch, and he was a mighty man of God. He walked with God, and the Bible made this statement. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's the same word here, same phrase here. So evidently, all of the schools of the prophets, and this means that there were training schools, there were people, prophets that were being trained up. Why? Because it was a heathen nation. So here was Elijah and Elisha, and evidently Elisha was the head of this school of the prophets that Elijah had started to train up the next generation of prophets. I remember early in the 70s, uh, W.A. Criswell, who was a great Old Testament scholar and a great theologian, he started what was in Dallas, Texas at the First Baptist Church, at that time the largest Southern Baptist church in the world. He started what was called the School of the Prophets, and he would bring in great men of God from all over the nation and all around the world and would invite pastors from every size church, rural churches, hamlet churches, village churches, city churches. He would have them in and he would teach them what he was doing in preaching through the Word of God in an expositional, what's called text-driven preaching now. And he would show them how to do Sunday school, how to do what we call small groups today, how everything was done, how the church was administrated. He'd talk about the call to ministry. He would talk about how to do a wedding, how to do a funeral, all of these things. And then there was something called the lion's den when he 
and many times Dr. Patterson, Leo Edelman, Richard Land, or he might have John Walford from Dallas Theological or Ryrie, both of whom taught at the school from time to time at the Crystal College. Maybe Howard Hendricks, Roy Zuck, someone he would have. The pastors could ask any question about any subject in pastoral or theological ministry, and they would answer it. Now, it was a tremendous thing. It only lasted one week, but people scheduled their vacation around it. It was very, very important because it was a training apparatus for pastors. It was a clinical, if you will. And it's amazing to me that we have in every discipline in America, whether you're a pipe fitter, you're an electrician, you're a plumber, you're a nurse, you're a teacher in an elementary school or high school or, or university, whatever it is, you're a pilot, you're a businessman. There's no such thing as getting a degree and saying you're trained to do something without a clinical. I mean, even teachers have a semester of student teaching, it's called, when they actually are mentored by a more experienced teacher, hopefully. And because it's not just about learning, it's not just about school, it's not just about uh, books, because the best training is on job training. And this is the way Jesus trained his disciples. This is the way we need to be training pastors, clinicals, on job. I don't believe any pastor needs to be a pastor until he has been out and has studied and been tutored and has had a year or two or maybe three underneath a seasoned man of God. I think it's ridiculous what we do, especially in Southern Baptist life and independent Baptists and much of the evangelical world that is apart from Methodism and Presbyterianism, because what we do, we say, you know, if you're going to work on somebody's soul, you're going to fly a plane, you're going to fix pipes, you're going to tie steel, you're going to build buildings, you're going, you've got to do an apprenticeship. But the most important work on earth that affects eternity, we just say, well, well, if you need to preach, if you're called to preach, buddy, you get out there and preach. This is silly. It is insanity that we do not require some kind of clinical. I know we're a free church. I know about the priesthood of the believer. But isn't there something in the Word of God about training? Isn't there something in the Word of God more than just book learning? We need to redefine smart because we have relegated being smart to book learning, to learning how to take tests, to learning how to do papers. This is not the end all of what is smart. I know men who have two PhDs or they have an MD and a PhD and they couldn't even open up the hood of their car. Uh, You see, that's not smart. That's learning how to take tests. There's the Mensa Society and and boy, you know, you could strut sitting down when you're around those guys most of the time. And the reason is they think they're smarter than everybody. They're so proud that they've learned how to pass tests. That's what the men's society is. It's learning how to pass tests to go to the next level, next level. And then there's another society above that. But many of those people I've talked to, and they don't have a lot of common sense. Oh, they're smart in some subjects. And they've learned how to take tests. They've learned how to write papers. And we give degrees for that. And I understand that. But what I'm telling you is, from ancient times, the way that you 
train people is through what we would call clinicals, hands-on, on-job training. Even during the days of Elijah and Elisha, there were these schools of the prophets where they trained them on how to do the work of ministry. And this is what the seminaries used to do. This is what, I mean, you, you just think about it. You can go all the way through seminary. You can learn Greek and Hebrew and not know how to deal with people. Why? You've never been out there where the shoe leather meets the road. You've never been where the water hits the wheel. You know a whole lot about stuff, but you don't know how to relate to people. And usually it takes splitting two or three churches or having abject failures before you ever learn that you've got to get along with people and that ministry is about people and about building relationships. This is why we've got men in the ministry, men in leadership in churches. They really don't love people. They don't love people. They think they're a CEO and that's all that they need to do and that they just tell people what to do and where to do it and how to do it. Let me tell you, that's not ministry. It never has been, never will be. All evangelism and all discipleship in the Bible is relational. It's relational. In the New Testament, it's relational. And we've got to learn how to deal with people. And the way you do that is by getting out and doing it, getting out there where people are. Now, think about it. Just think with me. How would you like to have a, a pilot come on just as you're about to take off and he say, hey, uh, welcome, everybody. This is my first time ever in a real plane. I've been just uh, going to school in a simulator and boy, it's just like real thing. I want to tell you, they'll be hitting buttons everywhere and jumping outside of a plane. Why? Because nobody wants to fly on the plane with somebody that's never flown a real plane before. What about a dentist? If a dentist said, now, you just ease back there, and, and uh, this is my first time ever with a root canal, but I, I've seen it done a whole lot in books, and so here we go and start the drill, honey, and I'm telling you, there's going to be some people coming up out of a chair. You know why? Because you need a clinical. You need hands-on before you have the wheel yourself, before you have the drill yourself. It is very, very important that we understand that the way that God has designed discipleship to be done and ministry training to be done is what Paul said to Timothy and proved out and lived out with Timothy. Timothy, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others and train others also. So how did Paul do that? Well, we don't have to read about precepts about how he did it. We can just see the pattern. He took him with him everywhere. You see, training others, mentoring others is hard work. It's messy work. It's dirty work. Discipleship is dirty work because you got to deal with people. We have to learn to deal with people. And so this is what happened. And so they kept coming and saying, it's known that Elijah's going to be taken up, that God's going to take him. Now, why would God let everybody know that ahead of time? Well, had that ever happened? Absolutely not. Now, we know that God took Enoch, but what about Elijah? He was going to be taken up in a whirlwind, and everybody, he had 50 witnesses out there watching this whole thing happen, watching the Jordan River part, watching this. What Elijah said to Elisha is, okay, you've stuck with me all this time. Now, you ask anything you want. What do you want from me? I'll see if God will do it. So he said, I want a double portion of whatever you have. I want a double portion of the Lord's Spirit that is upon you. I want it upon me. And so Elijah said, well, if, if you see how I am taken. See, he knew he was going to be taken. Elisha knew he was going to be taken. Uh, evidently, there were about 150 others that knew he was going to be taken. 
at least. Why would God do that? Because it was such a miraculous occurrence that there needed to be validation before it ever happened. There needed to be prophecies before it ever happened, or the cynics and the skeptics would have just written it off as, well, there was just one man that saw that. Well, you remember the Bible says, in the eye of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Well, they knew it was going to happen, and it was. And so the people actually went out and looked for him because they thought, well, okay, We saw him go up in a whirlwind, a chariot of fire, whatever it was we saw from a distance. But the Lord could have taken him somewhere, and he may still be uh, somewhere up in one of these canyons. And so for three days, they went and noticed three days. So it was a, a complete search, and they found nothing. Why? Because God had taken him away. And so begins the ministry of Elisha at the end of the ministry of Elijah, taken up in a whirlwind. Wow. That's not the last time we hear of Elijah. That's not the last time we have prophecies about Elijah. It's not the last time that we will hear from him personally as he speaks to the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, that's all the time we have. What a great chapter in the Word of God as we read through the Bible and walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.